Good morning. Happy New Year. We're going to be on Psalm 19 this morning. So if you can take your Bible and find that. If you don't have a Bible, there's some few Bibles. It's uh, on page 456. Psalm 19. So two baseball teams agree to play a game together. And they're all set for the opening pitch. And to the surprise of, and shock of everyone, the first batter walks up to the plate dressed in a tennis outfit rather than a baseball uniform. And the player declares in a bold and confident voice, I've decided that I don't want to wear a baseball uniform, but it's better for me that I wear this comfortable outfit. Also, I'm going to use this cricket bat, which is at least twice as wide as a baseball bat, rather than a regular baseball bat. And moreover, I expect to get five strikes instead of three. And I'll be running to third base instead of first. And I want all the fielders to close their eyes while I'm at bat. I believe that is fair, right for me. And will allow me to achieve the most happiness and success in my time here today. So expecting to receive an understanding response and compliance with his request, the baseball player is shocked when he hears the crowd and the opposite team burst out in laughter. Astonishment is the request. People started saying, are you out of your mind? You're a fool, shouts the umpire. That's not how the game of baseball works, says another. One person even comes up and says, you have no right to redefine the rules of baseball and cannot expect us to follow your distorted understanding of how things should be. The player is astound, astounded by the lack of tolerance in the crowd and the opposite team. To his surprise, everyone understood him to be a fool without any authority to make the claims he thought was so sensible and patient. That sounds crazy, but we all do the same thing with God as we reject His authority, His words, and moral standards. We live our lives the way we want to live them, spurning God's authority. We believe that we're wiser than God many times and should create our own standards, rejecting God's wisdom. And we make up our own rules on how to get to heaven, ignoring what standards and solution that God has provided for our tragic state. And all these things are done in spite of the fact that we live in God's world. We are God's creation and only God has the right to make rules and declare how we ought to live. And ultimately, if we, if we do not run from our folly and embrace Christ as the Lord and only Redeemer, we'll also be a fool without authority in eternity. We certainly live in a day of spiritual and moral confusion. Some claim this is the way to live. Others say no, this is the way to live. Others say it really doesn't matter how you live. Everybody just can do their own thing. Educators, sociologists, psychologists, polit politicians, and even pastors offer their speculation about how we should live. But we do not need any more speculation. What we need is a sure word from an authoritative revelation which tells us why we are on this planet 
and how we should live in light of that purpose. We need, and what we need today is a sure word from God. If the sovereign God has spoken, and he has, then some may shout one thing and some another, but the only judgment that matters is what God declares. If God calls it, that settles it. We can only lay aside our speculations and submit to what he says. So take your Bible and let's read Psalm 19 together. Make note, many would say this is a condensed version of Psalm 119, the longest psalm. We're not going to read that one this morning. So y'all be patient. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19, written by David. David, moved with the greatness of God, wrote this psalm, a poem, which combines beautiful poetry and profound theology and the appropriate moral response. And we're going to look at that. God has spoken to us through his revelation. And he's spoken to us in two ways. One, verses 1 through 6, is his world, general revelation or natural revelation. Number two, he's spoken to us, he's revealed himself in his word, Verses 7 through 9, specific revelation. And then we'll look at how we are supposed to respond. Verses 10 through 14. So let's look at general revelation. Verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. David basically introduces the heavens as witnesses and the preachers of the glory of God here. And these are extremely incredible verses and some that we can meditate on. 
It's revealing here that God is seen in creation itself. God's natural revelation through the majesty and the order of his creation. The invisible God undeniably reveals himself. And the the revelation is telling us about God's glory every single day and every single night. And the more that we learn about creation and the more we see it and the more we look deeper into creation, the more we see the intricate design of a creator. It's undeniable. And we learn new things all the time. How much more information do we have today than we did 100 years ago or 20 years ago? What about if the Lord tarries 50 years from now? What are we going to learn? How do we know that God exists? Anybody ever been asked that question? Simple understanding, or maybe an example, is that all of us have been to Disney World, and they clearly have some beautiful flowers and bushes and they cut it different ways and they've actually got some flowers that resemble Mickey Mouse. Certain flowers make up his eyes, others his nose, others his mouth and ears. Um, Really complex and specified pattern. And I think that in eight and us we recognize that that just didn't happen. There had to be a creator, a gardener that made that happen. We look out in the cosmos, telescopes looking out, and we see those things that we're just amazed at. But again, innately, we look at it and we say, that, that just didn't happen. So God has given us an instinctive ability to recognize things that are designed and things that have been, haven't been designed. If you're walking down the stairs with a bunch of blocks and you trip, letter blocks, and they fall on the floor... Um, that just happened. But if they fall on the floor and it's got Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg address, then you know somebody put it together. Now you've all probably heard of the Hubble telescope, right? So it was launched in 1990. And there's a quote on the NASA website says this, Since launch, Hubble has overcome its troubled beginnings to perform innumerable science observations that have revolutionized humanity's understanding of the universe. From determining the age of the universe to observing dramatic changes on celestial bodies in our solar system, Hubble has become one of humanity's greatest scientific instruments. 30 years later, Christmas Day 2021, they launched another telescope, James Webb Space Telescope. A quote from the same website, NASA's website, says this, this. The telescope's revolutionary technology will explore every phase of cosmic history from within our solar system to the most distant observable galaxies in the early universe to everything in between. Here it comes. Webb will reveal new and unexpected discoveries and help humanity understand the origins of the universe and our place in it. I did not know a telescope could do that. Um, What percent of what is to know about the world and the cosmos cosmos do you you think we know? 
Stephen Hawkins, who died in 2018, his final paper was a smooth exit from eternal inflation. Haven't read it. But a, a gentleman commenting on that, he said that at the end of his life, Stephen Hawkins suggested in this paper the idea of a multiverse, a vast collection of universes that exist simultaneously, though they're spread out almost unimaginably far from each other. Y'all seen Spider-Man yet? Multiverse. And he, he went on to say, it's been said that if you work hard at trying to grasp what Hawkins said you understand that what we know is a tiny tiny percentage and he said let's say point zero zero or point eleven zeros and a one is what we really understand Webb quote will reveal new and unexpected discoveries and help humanity understand the origins of the universe and our place in it Here's the amazing thing, or not amazing, just it's there. God's been declaring that answer to us since he created the universe. He, since he created us, the world, the cosmos. And verse 2 says, day after day, night after night, God has been communicating that to us. And, and what's amazing, and we can look at some Hubble photos, and we're going to see some web photos as they get going. Uh, David didn't have that. Right? David saw what we so often take for granted. The sunrise, sunset, just the beauty of the created world. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. David continues in verse 3, says, There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It speaks with unwritten words. And does so in a universal language that everyone alike can understand. You do not have to be literate to grasp God's general revelation. You don't have to be super educated to understand that God has created the earth. In fact, many very educated people are, are the most ignorant when it comes to that on the face of the earth. The psalm continues the, making the point there in verse 4. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. We see just amazing things every single day. And every once in a while we'll, we'll take note and go, wow. Not enough though, right? The Apostle Paul quotes 19.4 in Romans 10 Starting in verse 17, he says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I asked, verse 18, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice, quoting 19.4, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So verse 4 tells us how universal is the declaration of creation to all of mankind. And he, Paul also in Chapter 1 of Romans made note that because of this universal language, because of this general revelation, that all men are without excuse for denying the power and existence of God. Because, verse 20, it has been clearly perceived in the things that were made. Listen to this quote from John MacArthur. 
He says this, evidence for God or lack of evidence has never been the issue. Atheism is nothing more than a facade for people who love sin and hate God. He goes on to say, we cannot allow sinful men to stand in judgment over God. Instead, we must warn unbelievers about God's impending return and the judgment that follows. We cannot accept sinners' demands for a God of their own choosing. We must proclaim the one true God as he has been revealed in his word. David goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, talking really about the son, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It, talking about the sun, rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there's nothing hidden from its heat. Again, the main point here in, in these two verses, there's nothing hidden from its heat. The sun impacts everything. The general revelation of God is undeniable. The heavens and the sky offer testimony about God both night and day. The revelation reaches everyone just as the sun and its strength appears daily and reaches everywhere. That establishes in part the idea that all people have evidence, ample evidence telling them that God exists. There is no place that is hidden from the general or natural revelation of God. So first, God has revealed himself in this world. The scene now shifts from God's world to God's word. Look at verse 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So David shifts from the general revelation of God and his creation. And in doing that, in the first five verses or six verses, he, he actually refers to the Lord or to God as Elohim or El. But in the rest of this psalm, talking about the special revelation of God's word, David refers to him seven times by his divine personal covenant name, Yahweh. And most translations indicate that by capital words, for, or capital letters for the word Lord. In this way, David seems to emphasize that it's only through the special revelation of the scriptures that we really come to know God as our covenant God and Savior. And here the psalmist gives six descriptions of the word of God. He mentions number one, the law. Number two, the testimony. Number three, the precepts. Number four, commandments. Number five, fear. And number six, judgments. And here when he says the law of the Lord, he's probably, not only, but probably talking about the Torah, the Mosaic law, which at that time is all he had. But I, I believe that it also speaks of the entire canon of Scripture for us. Um, and he says the law of the Lord, it could be better translated, maybe teaching or direction or instruction. It says the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect means complete. 
sufficient, comprehensive. The word of God is perfect because it's directed towards the well-being of man. Not just the law of Moses, but the entire word of God. It has a life-changing impact on mankind. The ESV says it revives the soul. King James says it converts the soul. Contemporary English version says it gives us new life. The word of God can bring restoration and new life. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, the incarnate word of God, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Restoration. And it gives us comfort and encouragement. Many would look maybe at the Ten Commandments or some of, things, some of the things that people talk about when they talk about the law or they could think about the commandments, the Ten Commandments, that it was given to us so we can't have any fun. Uh, it was given to us for our own good, to protect us. And sometimes we don't act like we believe that, but God loves his people and what he has told us in his word is best for us. And we need to take heed to it. Our enemy Satan on the other hand hates people. And he wants to destroy them. And he wants to keep us from his word. Verse, second part of verse 7 goes on to say. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. The testimony. It's just another word for the word of God. But it says it's sure. Sure means dependable and reliable. Making wise the simple means it gives us a solid foundation and stability so we're not easily led astray. So having brought restoration, the word of God can make us wise so we can live for God as we should. His teachings last forever and they give wisdom to ordinary people. Do you know any ordinary people? You know any ordinary people that need wisdom? Verse 8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The precepts and commandments here refer to the precision and authority with which God addresses us. They revive us, they refresh us, they encourage us. So having brought restoration and wisdom for living, the word of God brings the joy of the Lord into our lives. And just like nothing is hidden from the sun in God's natural revelation, God's word enlightens us and reveals evil. Verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Usually when you hear the word fear, it's, it's sometimes read into as though it meant us cowering in terror because some awful being is about to strike us dead. But that is not what it means here at all. It means respect. Honest respect for God. Says David, it's clean. It will keep you clean too. It's enduring forever. And once you enter into the fear of the Lord in its rightful sense, you find that it produces a quality of life which keeps you from defiling yourself. So the fear of the Lord is a good thing. Second part of verse 9 says, The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
It really sums it up here. There's no part of God's word that is lacking in truth and righteousness. It is true in all its parts. Paul later wrote in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3. It's the New Living Translation. Let me read it to you. Verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. It guides us and changes the inner man. I've always liked those verses there because I remember years ago hearing where it instructs us on four major fronts, right? It tells us what is right. Teaching, doctrine. It tells us, number two, what is not right. It reproves us. Reproves us of our sin. It tells us, number three, how to get right. Correction or repentance. And number four, it tells us how to stay right. Training in righteousness. Sanctification. So doctrine, sin, repentance, and sanctification. God's word is profitable. It, help us, it helps us to live life. So God's Spirit-inspired Scripture, whatever it's called, law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, or rules, the same Scripture that we have complete access to, the canon of Scripture that we have complete access to, is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. And if we're faithful to saturate our minds with it, what does it do? It revives our souls. It makes the simple wise. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. Endures forever. And is righteous altogether. Now most of us know all that. Why is it that we don't spend more time in God's word. When it's profitable like that. All the things that we can benefit from it. So many benefits. David talks about that as he responds to the revealed general revelation and specific revelation. In verse 10, we see that the scriptures are very valuable to David as it should be for us. Verse 10 says, More to be desired than any gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So David spent six verses talking about the general revelation of God. He spent two verses talking about special revelation. And then in his response, he focuses in on the special revelation, God's written word. Why you think that is? It's probably that general revelation is designed to bring you to the recognition of the need for special revelation. General revelation is not enough to save you. Special revelation is more important. It's where our focus should be. And we all should know that we should always look at the rest of the world and everything that's going on in our lives through the lens of Scripture. We need to always major on the Scripture. 
And David here reflects upon the word of God. He's led to see that he has found a treasure far above any earthly treasure. You have to ask yourself, do do you see God's word in that way in your life? The living water. Now you might say, I don't see those things in the Bible. I, I read my Bible and it's supposed to do that for you, I know. But when I read it, I don't find those things. Do you know why? David helps us with that too. We need to notice as we go through this list that when David talks about various aspects of Revelation, he always uses the phrase, quote, of the Lord. The law of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord. The commandment of the Lord. All the way through. And this, of course, means that these aspects in themselves are not what we need. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had the Torah. Um, It didn't have the same impact on them as it had on David. They're channels by which we can find the Lord. It's He who does all these wonderful things for us. It's the Lord who forgives and revives and cleanses and enlightens and makes us to rejoice. It is God. it's It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnate word. And we find him in the pages of scriptures. And these wonderful things will happen to us. David says there there are some things that can interfere. And he starts there in verse 11. Tell us about it. He says, moreover, by them is your servant warned. You know, the word of God warns us of evil. Scripture warns us of our inherent evil, our sinfulness. Scripture warns us that without Jesus, we're condemned and destined for eternal judgment in hell. Scripture warns us of specific temptations and sins. It tells us what not to do. Scripture warns us of our obligations. It tells us what we should do. Spurgeon said this, On these verses, he said, On the sea of life, there would be many more wrecks if it were not for the divine storm signals which give to the watchful a timely warning. Aren't you thankful for how God's warned you of things as you read through the Word of God? Because he goes on in the last part of verse 11, he says, Because obeying the Word brings great reward. And keeping them, there is great reward. We cannot keep God's word perfectly. Does anybody want to raise their hand and say they did last week? It's impossible. But if you're born again this morning, Jesus has done that for you. Spurgeon again had a good word here as well. He says, there is a wage and a great one. Though we earn no wages of debt, we win great wages of grace. Saints may be losers for a time, but they shall be glorious gainers in the long run. And even now, a quiet conscience is in itself no slender reward for obedience. It was John Bunyan who said, This book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. So there is something that can hinder us. David goes on to say in verse 12, who can discern these errors? 
You know, usually when we examine ourselves, we look pretty good. Especially if we compare ourselves to other, others who don't look as good as we think we look. The book of Judges says that at times in the period of Israel's history, it says every man did what was right in his own eyes. And doing that permitted almost anything. And it was just chaos, right? Chaos was terrible. That They had a pattern there that sometimes it seems we have that same pattern, right? Everybody thinks what he does is right. We cannot see our own errors. And yet these errors, these twists, distortions, and attitudes are constantly affecting us so that we cannot see the truth the way it is. And that's what is wrong here. That is what hinders our desire for the word, those hidden errors, sin. Although they're not hidden from God. David, as we should face, that there's something wrong with the reader when we don't get those benefits we talked about earlier. Last part of verse 12 and 13, it says, Declare, cleanse me, innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Hidden faults. We all have them. We all have sins that we don't realize maybe. God has to reveal them to us and deal with them in us. And his way of dealing with hidden faults is either sending someone to point them out. As David had someone come to him. And or bring about some circumstances in your life where you're suddenly confronted with what you've done or said. And you find as you look back at it that it's ugly and you do not like it. And that's the way that God cleanses us from hidden faults. He opens up the secret places. Again, it could be someone coming to us and pointing it out. It could be something that we read one morning and then think back what we said yesterday. And then he talks about presumptuous sins. Now, presumptuous sins is when you do this to God. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm above the laws of God. There, there's times that we just say, I'm not going to do it. Like a, a, a child, sometimes they pick that up and they, have you ever had to say, no. We can do that with God. He, he points out he loves us so much. But we can say, I don't care what the Bible says. I'm just going to take a chance. Matter of fact, I don't even think anything bad is going to happen to me. And we may not say it out loud, but our actions say it loudly. And David makes it clear here. He doesn't want either one of these types of sins to dominate his life. So he prays that God would deliver him. MacArthur again on comment on these verses said this listen David's concerns reflect the attitude of a maturing disciple who by God's grace and provisions deals with his sins and does not deny them David says in Psalm 139 
Verse 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's a good verse to keep in your arsenal as you fight sin. Those verses there. A word to those who may not be believers this morning. If you do not know Jesus in a life-changing way, I implore you to seek hard after him. Without Christ, you're incapable of pleasing God. And you have no power to fight sin. As Paul wrote in his first epistle to the Corinthians, he says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I would say that's also a warning to someone who has made a profession who's not struggling with sin and doesn't see it. Now, I want to end today by emphasizing that we cannot understand God's revelation as we should, let alone respond to it as we should, aside from the work of grace in our hearts. Verse 14 says, The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, or let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And David ends this psalm focusing his attention specifically upon sins of speech and of the heart. And he understands clearly that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And he knows that only God can bring the change of heart that is needed. So we see that the word of God has not only shown David his sin problem. But it's also given him the answer to it. Namely the power and the grace of God. And he does not assume then that he is capable of mastering such sin on his own. Instead he recognizes that God alone can give him the victory. And he will do it through his word. Who was David's strength? His rock? Jesus Christ. Who is his redeemer? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. And without Christ, we're doomed. But as born again ones, Jesus is also our rock and our redeemer. And he becomes that through God's grace, through a specific revelation, his word. So let me encourage you this morning, if you want to start off 2022 with a verse to memorize, meditate on, and pray back to God, no better one than Psalm 1914. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of instruction to our hearts this morning from your word. We pray that we would follow through on these truths and live in a humble understanding that you have revealed yourself to us and that you've laid out a plan for us. And in your word, through Christ, that we can live a life, can be used by you 
to birth people into your kingdom. Let us be ready to listen and see, ready to search and to find out and discover. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.